0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We are digging into the digital revolution, which is uh, turning every aspect of our lives in some new directions, mostly exciting, sometimes a little bit jarring. Uh, But one thing that's endured over all these changes, right, is the concept of leadership and the power of leadership and the importance, the significance of leadership, right? And uh, our good, good friend, Christian Anschutz, who has been a CIO, a CDO. He's an entrepreneur. He's a Marine Corps captain. He has led a great nonprofit, has seen leadership from a lot of different angles Is with us today, and we're going to dig into this a little. Christian, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Always uh, nice to be here and always nice to be on the receiving end of such a gracious introduction. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, not at all, not at all. I think I was uh, I was quite reserved in in explaining some of the things you've done and how you've done them. But, Christian, um, it's funny. You know, I know in the in the past several episodes, at different times, you've sort of you know poo pooed your uh, ability to say anything unique or distinctive about leadership, and so we're willing to set that aside. But you do have some pretty cool perspectives on this, and I wanted to see what you're thinking about today, because the more companies, businesses of all kinds that I talk to today, there I keep hearing about how do we get the culture of the company? How do we move it forward? How do we keep people from feeling overwhelmed by this pace of change and the constant uh, disruptions that are taking place in the world? So I wondered if you could offer some observations on the role of leadership in sort of tumultuous times like this.
1: Oh, wow. So that, that's a, that's a big, uh, a, a big topic. Um, you know, these are tumultuous times and they're fast paced and there's these new introductions of technologies and business models. And then, you know, all the stuff going on in our uh, various societies. Uh, but are they, are they that much harder in aggregate than they've been in the past? I mean, you know, what were we doing in World War II? How many people were dying and how did that affect every living person in the world pretty much? And certainly those in the United States at a very profound level. I mean, from food rationing to everything else. I think uh, the point of it is I'm not sure things are harder. I think that they're just different. And I, and I say that because, you know, I have a, you know, I get a chance to talk to great people like yourself on the topic of leadership quite a bit. And it occurs to me that, you know, despite there being something like 150,000 books on the topic of leadership in, uh, you know, on Amazon, I don't think we have better leaders. And I actually don't think many of those books are actually, I mean, maybe a handful of them are actually worth reading because the principles of good leadership uh, that were true 100, 200, or even, you know, I don't know. I don't know how far to go back. They're the same today. And so we keep trying to rewrite these things to come up with new solutions to what we think are new problems. And I think it's, in many cases, in the topic of leadership, it's the old principles and traits uh, done well, uh, help us overcome these, as you said, tumultuous times. So uh, I'm not sure I'm getting uh, specifically at your uh, question, but I would say good leadership 100 years ago is what good leadership is today. And... Uh, it's incredibly, incredibly hard to do. And I, in many ways, I think we're, we've lost the societal grit to do good leadership to the extent that we need to, because it's so freaking hard. I mean, in, in our society, uh, money has corrupted just about everything. I mean, I'm a capitalist. I, I like my share of money too. Uh, and yet it's, it shouldn't be money that drives our every behavior. There should be something else. And that's kind of important. Uh, when you start talking about leadership, because money is usually about this person and leadership is about everybody else pretty much. Right. And so we just have to, Oh, it looks like my pup just made a surprise appearance in the background. Sorry about that. Hopefully she remains quiet. <laughs> oh, Kristen, had that, that,
0: that inside out thing that you talked about, you know, money here, leadership is about everybody else. So true. And yeah, I, I I take your point about it not being harder. And you mentioned World War II and some of the things that were going on abroad and here, uh, you know, various conflicts through times and depressions. Uh, we've had a pandemic over the last uh, 18 months or so, but I don't know if it's a fact that you've got sort of new generations of leaders coming into companies. And they haven't experienced something like this before, right? So your universal truths are there. But for people who haven't lived through some of those times of extreme challenges, you know, maybe what's gone on over the last couple of years is entirely new to them. And, uh, you know, when you talk about these things of the historical uh, consistency about what good leadership makes, I remember I've, I've read quite a bit about Alexander the Great and, You know what a lot of people said about him was the most challenging thing he had as a leader was, uh, he seemed often so eager to put himself always in the most dangerous situations. So, you know, uh, does a leader have a responsibility, at some point to, to always take that most challenging job, you know, show everybody, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself here. And than the cultural aspects of it, right? Companies have had to change their business models, change how they work with customers, change their technology, change their org structure, on and on while they're onboarding new people, often without ever having met that individual in a face-to-face situation. So uh, there could be some folks taking a crack at this really at a high level for the first time. So among those universal truths that you've got there, how would you advise People today moving into either mid-level or high-level positions in companies where they haven't had to lead through these sort of uh, these sort of tumultuous situations in the past.
1: Wow, there's there's so much there. Um, well, first and foremost, we really need to ask ourselves: uh, Do we have leadership positions that we've gotten because it's sort of the natural progression of our careers? Uh, or have we uh, earned those leadership positions through training and discipline, et cetera? All too often, I think what we have is we have people ascend based on a technical ability. And let's ask ourselves, and let's be honest, let's be really honest, how many people in, in management and above in, in, in uh, corporate environments have been formally trained in leadership? Mm-hmm. And by the way, because it's, a, it's, a, it's not a skill that you just have, and then it you know you have it mastered and then that's it you, you 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 are constantly great at it no it's like any other skill it's perishable so you have to constantly invest in yourself you have to constantly uh, develop yourself and organizations have to develop their leaders so I mean i'm I'm often very critical of what I call corporate America and uh, that that criticism has a lot to do with like we say a lot of things we uh, speak about a lot of different topics but we don't necessarily follow through particularly well. And caring about our staff is one thing we talk a lot about, Um, but do we develop our staff? Do we invest in our staff? Is that the kind of thing that we actually do? And if we are investing in our staff, we should invest in their ability to lead and teaching them how uh, to lead. And uh, you know, I I think my pup has gone from a quiet background fixture to less quiet, Uh, sorry (laughs) sorry about that. Um, So first of all, the, the point is leadership, we need to develop that in ourselves, we need to develop that in our teams and we have to do it very, very deliberately. When you learn leadership, there's a fundamental principles that are at play here and sometimes they're in conflict. So one of the most important things we can do as leaders is to lead by example. So, I mean, we see this with our politicians all the time. It's, you know, don't do as I say, uh, excuse me, don't do as I do, do as I say. Congress has a whole set of different rules than perhaps you and I have. Uh, and, and, And that is an example of systemically poor leadership. So leading by example is one of the reasons why leadership is so hard. You have to walk the talk. And you have to do it all the time. And and what makes leadership even more difficult is that you often fail because we're humans. We make mistakes and we we fail to live up to these standards. And you have to have the courage and the ability to be introspective and look at and go, I failed. I need to do better. And this is how I can do better. And just admit it and move on. But then that's a a uh, counterbalance to the question you were asking. Leadership by example would suggest that, oh, well, if If I'm going to lead, I have to be the first one, I have to be on point all the time. Now let's just go back to a military context. If you're on a patrol, the last thing you do is you put your leader in the front of the patrol, because then how do you sort of command and control? And to organizations, it's often very similar. Leaders can't always do all the work that the rest of the organization needs to do. They can't always position themselves out in front. They need to position themselves to the greatest extent that their presence and their ability force multiplies the the unit, the the group of people that they're a part of. And to lead by example through all the characteristics and traits to the greatest extent possible um, without jeopardizing the the, the totality of the organization because again, that platoon commander or that sergeant puts themselves on point when they need someone else sort of sensing the battlefield or in this case, sensing the market. So it's, it's a bit of a long answer. Uh, there was a lot to unpack in what you asked. I hope I kind of get to it.
0: Yeah. Well, I I, I will admit it was it was like a uh, two hour or three beer question. No no doubt about that. And uh, you know, for eight o'clock in the morning, not as easy. But Kristen, let me pick up on a couple of the things you said. That what about the the training, right? Um, a guy I've known for a long time. He was the co-founder of Workday, and Neil Bushrie. And recently, uh, and Neil who had been the CEO for several years, the sole CEO when the one co-founder left, and then he recently appointed a co-CEO. And I was talking to Neil about that afterward. And one of the things he said, well, this guy, he said he earned it, he deserved it, you know, and he's going to do a fantastic job as the co-CEO. The other thing Neil said was that I was never trained to run a multi-billion-dollar company. He said I had a pretty good head for business. I was knew a lot about software, and he said I built software but he said i never had training how to run a company this big that's global and all that and he said so if i focus on the things i can be really good at and be a good leader there and then chano the other uh the the new co-ceo with neil is able then to lead in years where he's so good we can have two people doing this so uh I, i think that point about the training for it and uh christian does this need to be a formal sort of training or is, does on-the-job training substitute in there in some way?
1: Well, so I'm going to go on a little bit of a, a little bit of a tangent, uh, and I'm very likely to piss off some of your listeners, especially the more senior ones. Um, you know, look, uh, this idea of this co-CEO saying I've never run this kind of company, okay, this is what we do. In our organizations is we look for technical skills. Have you managed this kind of business, this volume of business in this industry, etc. And when you have that, then you say, oh, then that's the right person. Uh, We don't spend enough time on making sure that, especially for that role, that they are good, qualified, high character, high quality leaders. We don't do that. And so, and here's the controversial and provocative thing I'm about to say, most of our corporations are run by terrible leaders. They have the technical background, but just look at our firms. Look at how tone deaf they are. They still have parking places with people's names on them and, and things like that. I mean, this, the, 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 the private jets, I mean, what is the salary gap between CEOs and the next level? Go look it up on Google. It's shocking. I mean, how do boards and CEOs kind of live with themselves and say that I'm a good leader when they set themselves, even from a compensation perspective, so far above and apart from the rest of their organization? They don't get it. They don't, they don't fundamentally get society. The more value you create, the more compensation you get. However, who's creating that value? I would suggest it's the totality of the people in the organization creating the value not just the CEO. Now, I'm not going in some sort of political direction. I'm a capitalist. But your leaders need to be formally trained in leaders, and they need to be selected based on their leadership ability, not on their technical skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's another provocative thing. Okay, so these executive search firms, right? What do they do? They go from Rolodex to Rolodex. Well, I got to put someone in automotive. So I got everybody I know that's in automotive. Again, it's, it's an evaluation based on technical skill, not on leadership merit. And we're talking about executive recruiters. So typically in charge of people, not always, not always, but typically in charge of people. And there's, there's no qualifications to say, well, this is a great leader. They look at other things. And, uh, and it's really uh, unfortunate because I think our organizations, don't, don't be fooled by the stock market, folks. The stock market is a complete fiction on its own. It's not the CEOs that are propelling their companies to doubling the cash flows, which should double their stock price. No, the, the stock prices are doubling because of other forces. And the reality is is these companies are generally fairly poorly led. And I'll give you an example of this. The difference, the two processes that separate the great companies from everyone else, it's strategy and governance.. Mm-hmm. That is the domain of the CEO and a management team. Now, the two processes that most companies stink at, strategy and governance. Why? Because they fundamentally require good, strong, capable leaders that can say yes to the right thing, no to the wrong thing, and press ahead with a vision, a why, and a story that compels not just their colleagues, but the marketplace. Another long answer, you asked a... Big question, I gave you an even bigger answer. No,
0: oh, no, no, there's, uh, I think we're looking for some big answers. or big thoughts on here, Kristen. That's perfect. Hey, I want to take a second here for a word from BMC, our sponsor. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A-game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the Autonomous Digital Enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash game. Now, Christian, I I think that, you know, we see that manifest today sometimes when you see some of these big companies that have had great records of success over decades, or in some cases, you know, a century or more. And they hit a point now, like people say, whatever happened to blank and blank? Well, I think it's because some of the the people there who were supposed to lead, instead, they tried to just simply manage their way through times of change, which is, um, <clears throat> okay, we we need to cut costs. Okay, we need to, uh, you know we need to lower our prices. Okay, we need to create products more quickly, but they don't know what products they, they they're thinking, their their future vision is being guided by where they have been, not where the world is headed on the outside. Um, I hear it too, Christians sometimes. You know, every company will say, it's almost like, you know, you pull a little trigger and they say, you know, oh, we're all about the customer. We're all about the employee. But then when you talk to them about it, they're not. Uh, it, it is something where they're trained to say certain things. They're not trained to look at the world differently. They're not trained to necessarily stand up in front of the organization and say, we are headed off a cliff here, folks, unless we make some big changes. Here's where the world's going. Here's where we're going to go with it. Here's how we're all going to work along with it. Here's how I'm going to respond to this. And here's what we as an organization need to do. So I I think there's, there's going to be a lot less of those kind of like head in the sand leaders coming up because their companies are going to get blown apart. And the people who are going to arise up underneath them are going to have a very different view of the world, I hope, I believe. And that's why I wanted to dig into this a little bit with you, how to arm some of that almost like next generation of leaders to be able to learn from the history, understand the role that the history plays in what's unfolding, but to be more focused on the world outside. You know, as you said, leadership is not about the leader, it's about everybody else.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's, um, it's about, for organizations, it's about the leader and it's also about the framework. The framework then shapes the culture. So again, strategy and governance—the two processes that separate the great from everyone else, uh, folks. If you have a strategy and it does not include your workforce, specifically, you know, the culture, the attitude, the behaviors—not the placards that the typical HR department puts on the walls, which are meaningless and senseless, right? A waste of print dollars for sure. Um, If you don't actually build those accountability frameworks, then you really don't have a resilient culture in the first place. In fact, most firms have what is called a, you know, a fixed culture or status quo culture. These are Christian terms, not uh, some um, academic term. You know, they, firms just get addicted to the thing that they do. We've talked about this, they get this crack addiction to their current business model, and they are, uh, it's very, very difficult for them to change with these changing times and change with more importantly, they're changing markets. And if they do not have the capability and that the good leadership at the top that drives something outside of the norm, the norm in this case being their current revenue streams and business models, if they don't have a sensing capability, if, they don't, if they're not strong and saying, yes, the core is important and it will propel our new ventures, but you have to do both, explore new opportunities and preserve and protect the core. Uh, if you don't have good leaders that do that, then you have what we see in the Fortune 500. I mean, we have the highest churn rate in the Fortune 500 in the history of the the, 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 the list. Yeah. In what, uh, at the current pace, 18 years? <clears throat> half the Fortune 500 at the current pace, well, we all know the pace is increasing, uh, half the Fortune 500 will be replaced by other companies. And you know, is this because uh, of leadership? Yeah, it's a big part of it. It's a big part of it but let's go back. we've talked about this in the past it's it's so easy to just skip this topic altogether because leadership, what is it uh, how do you measure it uh, you know a good CEO you know how does their leadership affect things when you know they're only going to be there what on average I think in the United states is a three- year tenure and then they only really get promoted or, or excuse me rewarded recognized if they make you know the numbers quarter to quarter they don't get you know, fired, one was a CEO fired for having an uh, unambitious, uh, you know, vision for the future. I, 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 don't, I don't know that that happens. And so you get all these, you get what you pay for, which is a bunch of short termitis, yeah. which lends itself to a culture that is just living for tomorrow, not realizing that it also has to eat next year, right? And, and leaders that don't really care about building a legacy a future, uh, a a legacy where, you know, future leaders of that organization, future colleagues from that organization have a workplace in which to thrive and and be successful for their customers that they wanna thrive and make successful. Um, I feel like I'm on a soapbox now, but this topic is uh, near and dear to my heart. And if we're really honest with ourselves, uh, Bob, if we're really honest, we know it's, it's very easy to see how poor uh, in general, the, the the leadership examples are around us. There, it's very very easy to see how poor our leadership examples are, and it's it's candidly it's sad. Our our our, our companies, our communities, our colleagues, and our country they they deserve better leaders, and we're not we're not promoting them, we're not recognizing them, we're not we're not doing something right because they're they're not that good. Well, Kristen,
0: I I don't think it's a soapbox at all. I think this is exactly why, you know, we're so delighted to have you uh, on here as a monthly guest because you get this stuff and you're not afraid to talk about the things that really matter. Um, I wanted to come back to your Fortune 500 and the churn, uh, what is it? You know, how quickly those companies are turning. So, uh, you know, again, if I look at history and say, well, the solution to that is, Call it to Fortune 1000. Then there won't be as much churn. <laughs> well, uh, that would work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, along that numbers sort of thing, Chris, I want to ask you one other sort of big, broad question. I think it's fascinating today that uh, you get um, companies that simultaneously, they have more data and they are, Getting to manage and channel and use that data in more intelligent ways with more and more people inside their company, right? I think that's a, that that's a, an aspiration, and I think good and better and best companies are actually doing that. And at the same time, the world's moving so fast that this this idea that if we just if we just wait till we get perfect data, then everything will be fine, we won't make any mistakes. That's not true. So. How, you know, as a leader, as a former chief digital officer, or entrepreneur, how do companies in their culture and in their leadership balance this thing of let's really work hard in getting the data right? And let's also figure out how do we embrace where needed ambiguity? How do you blend those things?
1: Wow. Every question you have is like a two hour long uh, uh, podium uh, a lecture and response, and, I, and I'll try and do better than that. Uh, we don't have the time. Oh, God, where to start with that? So first and foremost, I, I like to use military analogies. I know some people might have a hard time relating to them, but if you want to understand a leadership under adversity, there's no better environment. Uh, th- there's not. Uh, and um, it's in, in, in military environments where there's this thing called fog of war, Right. And the fog of war is you don't know everything. And then as soon as the bullets start flying, you actually know less because it's like this the aperture shrinks. And what's interesting about the current landscape with this flood of information is that the aperture actually isn't shrunk. It's just gotten so massive that the fog is now this information overload. Mm -hmm. And we think, by the way, all the algorithms are going to sort through it and make it easier for us. But the algorithms and our ability to apply them are exceeded by our ability to accumulate this information. And so there it is. We have a couple of things happening here. We have opportunities missed because this information is potentially gold. If I hear anybody go, oh, information is the new oil, I'm going (laughs) to gag myself with a spoon. That's so old. um, And, uh, you know, making sense out of the noise, identifying patterns that sit in this, the center of, market viability, uh, a a, a capability to deliver and human insight, finding how those things all come together and using information to find uh, solutions that the market needs and wants. Now that, well, that's art and science. Do you need all the information in the world? No, but you need to be able to first and foremost, find the unmet needs, find the way these unmet needs can be solved in new and innovative ways that information and the plethora of it that we have now at our disposal Again, assuming we have the capability to sift through it and uh, you know apply it in a meaningful fashion, well, that's entirely new skills. That's entirely uh, new opportunities for us. Otherwise, what ends up happening is two things. Well, and I'm kind of rambling here. In my as I enumerate it, oh. one, two, three things. Uh, I, I'm not going to be able to keep track of all my uh, various points here on a big question like this. No, the, the existing firms, if they're not in the information business natively then they don't, they're going to suffer because they don't know how to treat information as an asset. Legacy firms are suffering this all the time. That's why the tech and the the, uh, new entrants are just running circles around them because they natively understand how to do things with information. And then the other thing may happen is they go, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're an analog company and we're going to get all this information and we're going to do stuff with it. And then they, they put their arms around this whole thing and they go, oh my God, it's too big. What do I do with it? And then they've lost sight of the fact that this only reason why you it in the first place is to address a market need, some unmet need that should you address it creates enough value for you to want to go into that industry or business in the first place. Again, we can keep talking about like the new challenges in this case, it's, it's, it's information overload, but the fundamental principles, the fundamental principles of leadership remain the fundamental principles of leadership, the fundamental principles of how to identify, and exploit, if I can use that word, hopefully there's no lawyers listening to this, exploit market opportunities, those are the same. It's just that the tools and the mechanisms and the approaches, and in some cases, the needs, although they're usually enduring, uh, they're, that's what's changing. That's what's changing.
0: Well, Kristen, I think the model that, uh, and <clears throat> in some ways, the metaphor that you brought up a moment ago about the fog of war, was a brilliant... Uh, contrast there between right you know what what happens in that case in a combat situation the aperture gets smaller what many of us are experiencing in the business world is the aperture gets bigger but the same thing happens the fog of war comes in and obscures vision it makes things less clear when the expectations are oh, it to be more clear
1: and what spells the difference in so many cases between being successful on the battlefield where there's the fog of war or being successful in business where there's the fog associated with too much information, too much change, too much, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, too many forces in the market comes back to the topic. It's leadership. Yeah. That's, what, that's what will spell the difference. And I'm not talking about leadership on top high, I'm talking about pervasive leadership where everybody that knows a role, has a role, could be particularly well. They have pervasive leadership. It doesn't matter if you're PFC or you're, you're a general, you know how to lead and you know when to lead. Because when the fog of war hits, you can't just be relying on that one person at the top. You need to be rely on your organization. And so I go back to that topic. How many of our organizations have great leaders at, the, at their helms that are investing significantly in their workforce to develop and enhance the leadership skills of their organization? Now, I would say probably less than 5% of our firms. And it's such a tragedy. It's it's just such a wasted, lost opportunity. So easy to do uh, and yet so overlooked. Yeah.
0: And then, uh, Christian, it would be interesting, right? And if we each had you know two more lifetimes, we could uh, go into explore the training budgets that companies have and what are those training dollars being spent on. I'm sure to some degree or another, there's some value in a lot of them, but I wonder how many of those are focused on, you know, what you just described there. Is it so if there's 50% of companies have an adequate training budget? And I think I'm being generous with 50%, then of those, how many of them focus on tra- on training for leaders? And then of those, how many focus on trying to do it in the way you've described you? I think it'd be a pretty tiny number.
1: Well, oh, you want me to get really provocative? Sure. By the way, if anybody doesn't like what is being said here, don't blame it on Cloud Wars or Bob Evans. It's it's this guy's opinion. All right. So look, hey, these firms, they all have training budgets. And you know how you know that? Because each and every one of you that work for a large company has spent hours clicking through things you're not paying attention to on your screen while you're multitasking because you're doing the mandatory training. This is training and development for you. Hold on, folks. You know what the real answer for not having to do that? is if you had good leaders that held people accountable to the right behaviors, set the standards for ethics, and then held the organization to uphold those ethics. If you had good leadership in the first place, you'd have less of us spending our training budgets going click, 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 through all these uh, courses that we all actually know all the content for anyway, but we just don't know whether or not actually it's real in this firm or not. Now, I'm not talking about us on this call or even uh, us as listeners, but we all know that that training, well, is it effective in changing behaviors Are other things more effective in changing behaviors? I don't know. That's something that's a question for someone else to answer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, I got to push back a little because. Please do. (laughs) One of those training classes I took, one of the questions was, uh, you know, You keep a huge stash of pornographic magazines on your desk. This is A, green, good, yellow, caution, C, unacceptable. And
1: (laughs) uh, (laughs) Just folks, you all know what Bob's talking about here. We should be all insulted by this because we, do we need that training? Do we really need to know that? Wouldn't it be better if we had a a framework where we held each other to a high standard? And if we saw Bob and I, we saw someone, our our colleague, and they were even higher ranked than us, if you will, in the organization, we came by and said, that ain't acceptable. What the heck do you think you're doing? And then you let the organization sort this thing out and say, that's not the kind of character we want here. Get the heck out. Do you need to have training? I mean, this uh, legal eagle, I I, I get it. Uh, You know, most litigious country in the world, I get it. But laws and regulations and training and forms, et cetera, are not replacements for good leadership. We need it now more than ever. Those things just enable it where necessary. Often it hinders it, but um, especially where we use it as a crutch, because we're kind of talking about now. Boom.
0: That was perfect. The uh, Anschutz hammer came down, Christian. Well done. Well done. I had too
1: much. too much caffeine this morning. <laughs> I apologize, folks. <laughs>
0: No, no. Thanks for letting a rip on that. I mean, these are. Uh, like you said there's 150,000 books on leadership, and probably most of them are crappy, or if not crappy, they're just they're not helpful. Uh, but I think that's why you know, love having you on to talk about these sorts of things, Christian. Because, uh, like a lot of stuff in life, you some of what you said here, it should be obvious. But I think today there's so much going on, or we choose not to bear down on. Certain things and really think it through. it's often not truly obvious until somebody else points it out. so i I, I thank you for that, and it's one of the reasons why uh, it is always always a treat to have you on to hear you talk about things, and I think your pooch here was um taking cues from, right? nonverbal cues. you knew, all right, there's the big guy's talking about something important. I can rattle around a little, but not too much. I don't want I want to draw the attention away
1: oh she was distracting though I was sitting there I'm like oh boy we're recording this and I don't know if you notice I'm like moving my hands because she's running around <laughs> uh, well I guess we're all kind of used to that now in the zoom world right you know so at least Absolutely. I'm not on the BBC having uh an incident in the background or something like that
0: <laughs> no Christian I had a, a a friend of mine told me that his uh his 12 year old daughter you know when uh, everybody was doing she was doing school from home uh, they live in New York City, and uh, their phys ed class, their teacher was saying, hey, look, we got to improvise a little, you want to do workouts even at home, said here I got a five pound bag of cat litter, was lifting the five pound bag of cat litter, trying to encourage people, you know, take what's around you. So cats, cat litter, dogs, I think they have become part of the uh, ongoing conversations and that's okay.
1: Yeah, they, they, they do. Hey, um, as a thought, because I know we're uh, running out of time here on our next conversation, maybe it would be useful for us and, and your listeners to go through uh, a leadership trade and principle framework. And, and we can talk about what in the Marine Corps are the the standards that you have to live up to. And I know standards is kind of a weird word these days right but the the standards which you it's a great word it's a fantastic word Um, but it's the standards that you have to live up to and in the exploration of this conversation we can get to the heart of why leadership is so difficult real good leadership is really really hard which is why very candidly this isn't some sort of false modesty or humility every single mistake that could be made i've made (laughs) and what makes it painful is that i'm introspective enough to know it and uh and it sucks it really, really sucks to have to look in the mirror and say another day has gone by, and you effed it up again, Christian. You effed it up again. Um, but this conversation might be kind of interesting um, talking about uh, leadership principles and traits, and uh, what it means to set a standard behavior for leadership.
0: Absolutely, I'd love to do that, Christian. Love to do that. And I think just as a, you know, to to cap it off here, your your point about that thing of being introspective, recognizing makes mistakes make mistakes um unqualified leaders would find a way to deflect that and say no it wasn't me uh that my team didn't prepare me didn't you know blah 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 you know just deflecting that and the honest leader is going to say yeah i made a mistake there i've learned from it here's how we'll do it differently next time but uh yeah i would love to do that next time to hear your talk about that i think stand is a good thing uh and would love to hear you know a little bit of a, a a formalized or not formalized, but at least a detailed program for how people can start to think about this and what you put into practice. That would be fantastic. Let's do it. All right. All right. Christian, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to see you. Thanks for
1: your time and ideas. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a fantastic day.
0: All right, folks, and to all of you, thanks for being with us here. A little seminar course here in leadership and tune in next month. Uh, We'll be sure to note this and Kristen's going to come on and give us some uh, tools to work with to help build that out. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time.